listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm Mike Gaston, and I am your host. Glad to have you guys along. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's January 9th, kids, 2022. This is our second episode of 2022. That means we've just doubled the quantity of episodes that we're putting out in 2022 here at The Currency. Kids, we're killing it. Welcome. It's uh, episode number 112. I'm glad to be behind this microphone. Uh, I don't know about you, but this just feels right. Just feels right. Can something that feels so right be so wrong? <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, glad to have you guys along. We're going to talk about a few things today. Um, I want to kick off with Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know if you guys have been keeping an eye on the news, but those kids over at KFC are talking about plant-based fried chicken. Uh, they're, they're working with this Beyond Meat company. They've just launched a plant-based fried chicken, and it's kind of a big deal because, you know, in the past you could do like nugget, McNugget style, uh, McNuggets being McDonald's, but nugget style, chicken nugget style, plant-based chicken where... It doesn't really look like the muscle fiber. It's just kind of like reconstituted chicken deep fried. And so they could easily put out that kind of stuff. But now they're doing this plant-based stuff. And this has been years of testing. Now, Now Kentucky Fried Chicken's owned by Yum Brands. And Yum Brands owns a lot of these big names. Uh, I want to say like Taco Bell is in there and... Oh, gosh, who else does Yum Brands own? I want to say maybe even, I can't, is this Pepsi as well? Uh, but anyway, Yum Brands owns a bunch of these, you know, like fast food restaurants. And they launched the other day this, they made this big announcement, we're coming out with plant-based meat. And, you know, in the article, it's like, oh, people are loving it. They're trying it. They think it's great. The real reason I want to bring this up, I, I mean, I have no problem. People want to try to eat healthy. They're looking for alternatives and so on. But does, it, does, does anybody for a minute just realize how messed up this is? I mean, you're going to Kentucky Fried Chicken. Is there anything less healthy than fried chicken? I'm sure there are some things out there. Uh, I'm thinking donuts. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking scrapple for those of my listeners in Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm sure there are things out there that are less healthy than fried chicken. But anybody eating fried chicken knows that they're kind of in for uh, uh, a lot of grease and oil and a bunch of things that probably aren't so good for them. That's what makes it taste so good. I mean, it tastes so good because it's fried chicken. It's fried. It's deep fried. You batter that bad boy and you deep fry it in hot oil. And the result is, is something sublime, something close to what we can hope for after this life. <laughs> I love fried chicken. And so there's a bit of an irony here with, you know, folks like Kentucky Fried Chicken coming out with plant-based meat substitute like why why are you doing this why are you trying to make a plant-based thing that seems like meat looks like meat feels like meat in your mouth tastes like meat and can then be deep fried and served in a greasy bucket from a fast food drive-up window what are we trying to do here folks I mean, it's, you know, it's one of these things that's like, well, science, we can do it, so we should. 
but they've been working years on this. I think there's a few things going on. I mean, you could say, well, Mike, they're trying to provide healthy alternatives. Well, if you want to provide healthy alternatives, offer the Kentucky Fried Chicken Celery Stalk. Doesn't have to be deep fried. It's just like a little a little baggie of celery stalks, maybe a little dipping pouch of peanut butter. I mean, come on. This is just ridiculous. There's something else going on here. And it's not necessarily about health. Now, look, they, these brands have to respond to what it is that the market wants. If people are saying they want healthier food, people are saying they want to eat a little bit more consciously, Maybe they don't like the idea of factory farms and so on. And they're saying, hey, I kind of would go for this Beyond Meat. And Beyond Meat is a, is a company as well. Uh, I think the CEO is Ethan Brown. And, um, you know, they're really pushing this plant-based meat alternative. Uh, you know, you get this Impossible Burger. You got the Beyond Meat now. Um and I think the meat industry is under some pressure right now as well. I mean, you go to your store and try to try to get a good piece of beef uh, at your supermarket. It's hard. You know, you go to the shelves, they're looking kind of sparse. And it seemed initially like it was this temporary COVID problem. But uh, we're, we're finding uh, that we're, we're having a hard time getting meat on the shelves. What, what bothers me about this is I just, I just have a hard time buying that this is about health. If this were about health, you would be seeing a lot of these kind of alternatives in higher-end restaurants, uh, you know, on your supermarket shelves. And maybe they're going to go there. Maybe it's like, hey, Mike, they got to crack the fast food market first. And if they can get buy-in there, then they can you know, go anywhere. And I, I'm sure that these folks like Beyond Meat and, and other companies like them really want to go global. They want to be everywhere. I mean, I'm not saying that, that, that this is about Beyond Meat and they're up to something. I don't mean it that way. But I feel like there's a movement in our society and we, the consumers, the people that would go out and enjoy eating, God forbid a human being enjoys eating, but we, the people that want to enjoy eating, are being sold something. We're being told a narrative. And I think the narrative is that this is healthier. It's better for you. This is better for you. You remember as a kid, you sit down and, and, and someone tries to, I remember like being fed tofu back in the 70s, late 70s, maybe even the early 80s. Tofu was kind of a craze then. Everybody's trying tofu. It tastes like crap. It was no good. I'm sorry. Like, oh, but Mike, you don't understand. If you soak it in onion water and mix it with bacon fat and then you saute it and anything that you have to work that hard to make taste good isn't worth the effort. But uh, and to be fair, look, maybe maybe my mom didn't know how to properly prepare the tofu. Remember, we tried tofu. It was terrible. It didn't taste good. Tofu being a soy based meat replacement, a vegetarian soy based meat replacement. And it was kind of this big thing. And in the 70s and the 80s, lots of people got on the tofu bandwagon. You go to the supermarket. They had tofu. It was all the rage. It tastes like crap. It was no good. It just was no good. And we're being told that these things are healthier for us. This whole tofu thing, it was supposed to be healthier for us. 
But I think there's something else going on here because at the end of the day, like when you're selling Beyond Meat through Kentucky Fried Chicken, I don't think Kentucky Fried Chicken is so worried about health. And do you think that the average Kentucky Fried Chicken customer is worried about their health? Do you think the average Kentucky Fried Chicken customer is worried about their health? When, when my family was buying tofu, they were buying it from a supermarket because they were interested in eating healthier. And this was kind of a new thing. It was a bit of a fad, but it was being sold to us as a healthier alternative. You know, people worried about heart attacks and getting fat and red meat and sodium and all these things. And so they were turning to these vegetarian, nobody talked about veganism back in the 70s, but vegetarian options. And so tofu was a big one. So people were interested in this because they were interested in their health. I don't think people are going to Kentucky Fried Chicken for their health. And I think that people are willing to make changes, significant changes, if they are concerned about their health. So why is it that Beyond Meat is trying to come up with Kentucky Fried Chicken with Yum! Brands? Why are they working on coming up with a meat substitute that looks like meat? Uh, it, it almost has the same fibers. You know, like if you have a chicken breast, there are strands of meat. Same with a steak, et cetera. You, you know, there's a grain, there's a fiber, there's muscle fiber that you're, that you're eating. Why are they trying to recreate that? Why are they trying to make a mock chicken breast? Why is that? My suspicion is that there is a financial gain here. Yum! Brands is a giant publicly traded corporation. They're trading at about $130, $136 a share. Let's see what their, uh, let's see what their, um, I don't know what their, what their, uh, I'm looking at the balance sheet. Uh, I won't even get into this. They're doing, I mean, they're doing billions. I mean, it's like, it's crazy town. But I was just curious, like, what is their, uh, let's see, debt to equity. I'm just going through this real quick. I'm curious what their, their valuation is at. Uh, tell you what I'm going to do. Rather than sit here and go, uh, and look at the computer, I'm just going to type yum brands valuation and let Google do the work. Why should I do the work? Now, the, what's interesting is when I type that in, boy, they took it in the neck. I mean, they kind of came out and said, hey, we're doing this Beyond Meat thing, and the market didn't seem to like it. Th that's beyond the point. I mean, they, over a six-month period, they've been growing. But over the last five days, over the last, just over the last five days, over the last month, they've been doing great. So what is their valuation right now? Uh, their market cap is $39.68 billion. I mean, that's pretty good. Market cap of $39.68 billion. So that tells you something about this company. This is a big company. And what they're trying to do, and Yum, just for, for the record, they operate KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, uh, the Habit Burger Grill, Wing Street Worldwide. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. They're everywhere except for China right now. Uh, and, and there is a... There's a different company that owns all those called Yum China. Obviously, they've just made a separate company that they can trade in China. But where I'm going with all this is to say, I think that this is a money play. When you look at what it costs to raise meat 
to raise chickens, to raise beef cows, to raise pigs for pork. It's expensive. And if they can figure out a way to replace that meat with a vegetable option, a much cheaper, easier way to grow things, and if they can tell the story that, my goodness, this uh, this option, this alternative that's, that's vegetarian is actually easier on the environment. It doesn't cause global warming. Well, now you've got people's attention. I think now you're able to say, hey, uh, we have an offering that that the market likes. I think Yum Brands essentially, if I'm going to cut to the chase here, is hedging their bets because they know that climate change is going to be big, 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 big in the next 10, 20 years. And the sooner they can have an alternative to meat, the sooner they can protect themselves against the wave that's coming around climate change. And what I mean by that is, I think that we're going to see over the next 10, 20 years, over the next five years, a very aggressive push by the state, the governments of the world, to take climate change by the neck and and change the world as they see fit in order to supposedly protect us from climate change. I think what you're seeing with COVID, COVID's done, folks. It's over. COVID is over. Omicron is the is the death knell of the COVID emergency. This thing is over with. Now, you're going to observe governments going nuts. You're going to observe abuses. You're going to observe aggressions and transgressions against basic human rights as this thing goes through its death throws. These governments have gotten drunk on power. These healthcare experts, guys like Dr. Fauci and his ilk, the, uh, these groups have become drunk on power and they have taken this opportunity to strip you and I of our basic human rights, not our political rights, not our rights as citizens, not our constitutional rights. They have taken and continue to take and erode and chip away and trample upon our basic human rights, our rights to life, liberty, and the possession of property, the right to engage and interact with each other, to have intercourse. Yes, I know. Grow up, you five-year-olds. We're talking about interaction and exchange amongst people in a community. They have taken this opportunity to just ratchet up their control and their power. They are creating what Hilaire Bullock in the 1920s or 30s in his book, The Servile State, uh, predicted. He predicted a servile state. They're creating it. But here's the thing. COVID's done. This thing's going away. We've been talking about for over a year now. I have. And our other people have been talking about this even longer. That viruses over time lose their virility. They're, they're not going to kill you over time. As they mutate, as they change, as they're out in the wild and they cycle and repro reproduce and mutate, they tend to become less and less lethal. Yes, they become easier to catch, just like the common cold, very easy to catch, most likely not going to kill you. There are people that actually die from the common cold. That happens. There are people that die, lots of people that die from the flu. We've never shut down the world because of it. But because Corona came out of the gates like a roaring lion, 
We all panicked and we shut it all down and we said to the people in power, I'm terrified, do whatever it takes, keep me safe. And so they said, well, we will be happy to oblige. And so here we are. And, and these people are not like, look, I, I don't feel comfortable having this kind of power. I don't feel comfortable having this level of authority over everybody. We really need to get out of these executive orders. We need to get out of these emergency circumstances so that I can, so that I can get these powers off of me because I don't like having this kind of power over the human race. I don't think it's right for me to just push these slobs, these plebs around like I have been. I've, I've got to get back to the old days where my hands were tied a lot more, where I wasn't able to do whatever I darn well pleased, where I couldn't live at the top echelon of society while everybody else groveled, fearful for the next capricious whim that might come out uh, of my office. Am I going to lock you down? I don't know. I might. Oh, is Christmas coming? Yeah, I'm probably going to lock you down. Is Easter coming? Yeah, going to lock you down. You want to go to the strip club? Yeah, no problem. You're fine there. <laughs> Has anybody heard Jacinda? I don't know. What's her last name? Is it Williams? I don't know what her name is. Over in uh, in New Zealand, this prime minister. I mean, I don't even want to repeat some of the stuff she says. This woman's sick in the head. She's sick in the head. She's a pervert. She's over there. And I, I hate to even bring this up. And folks, I'm sorry. This is not supposed to be an adult show. But I would just say real quick, she'd be interviewed on some, you know, Good Morning New Zealand kind of show, some Good Morning show over in New Zealand, uh, whatever they watch there under the earth. And um, how, how do they do that looking at their televisions upside down? I don't even understand how that works. But anyway, some comment about what they were shutting down and what was okay and how many people could you have together in a group. And she's making these... And she was serious. She's joking about it, but she's serious saying, you know, you can have, I'm not even going to say it, but you can have a group together to get involved in really immoral activities, but the group can only be so many people. And to the point where the hosts of the show were embarrassed and they shut her down. She's the prime minister of the country. They had to shut her down. This woman, this woman's like the whore of Babylon. I'm sorry. She's just drunk on power and she has no sense of propriety, no sense of responsibility, no sobriety around, around her role. And she is a good example of what we're dealing with. So all that to say, our leaders have become inured to this power. They love it. Who doesn't? Man, if I were in that position, I'd love having that kind of power. I'm just telling you. Your boy Mike's been joking for decades about being a dictator for life. Those of you that know me know I talk about wanting to be a dictator. That's just an ongoing joke. Is it a joke? Not so much. I'd love to be a dictator. I, look, hey, listen, I would be a benign dictator. It, it would just be, I just need 10 years to get the world kind of sorted out, maybe 20. But when it's all sorted out, I promise to give it back. I think after 20 years, we should be in good shape. I'll give power back. Maybe it might take 30. I might have to pass it along to the next generation of the Gaston family. I'm not sure. But my point being, I would be a benign dictator. It would be good for everybody. <laughs> Unless someone looks at me funny, then it won't go so well for you. But hey, uh, you're not supposed to make eye contact with me anyway. I'm the dictator. <laughs> so what I'm getting at here, joking aside, is there's something in all of us that likes power. Now, there are some people like, I don't like it. Yeah, you're the kinds of people that should be in these roles. Not, But the problem is that, the, that these roles, these roles of authority, these political positions of power and authority, 
attract the kind of people that want that thing? Do we really want individuals who lust after power having power over us? No. You want the guy who's like, look, I'm just a simple farmer. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about this. I just know you're supposed to tell the truth. You're supposed to work hard. You know, you're supposed to love your mama. <laughs> you just want that good, simple simple farmer. You want them to go to Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, those people don't go to Washington, D.C. because, you know, and they're smart. They want nothing to do with that garbage. It's a cesspool. So what I think is going to happen is because COVID is in its death throes and these, these despicable people, and if any of you are offended by that, these despicable people, I'll just say it again and again, Mario Cuomo and all these, or not Mario, Mario's son, Andrew Cuomo, Mario's dead, also a despicable. Oh, he's a great statesman, but his children, Chris and, and Andrew, terrible people, horrible people. But these people that have had power over us, they don't want to give that up. And the next, you're essentially looking for excuses. So COVID was a godsend for these people. It was wonderful. They don't care that people died. You think they go home at night heavy hearted because people died? Cuomo could give a rat's rear end. He was, he was forcing people with COVID into nursing homes that didn't have COVID. So we're all running around scared out of our brains, wearing triple masks and getting quadruple jabbed. And at the height of this pandemic, when like thousands of people were dying a day and it was like a bloodbath, I mean, it wasn't literal blood, but we were seeing all these medical clinical professionals with their faces like raw, bruised and raw from the masks and they were exhausted and they were in tears like we're fighting this battle oh my gosh everybody's dying everywhere the body bags were piled up and there were mass graves we're seeing all this stuff he was forcing people into these nursing homes it's insanity he didn't care these people that have power they don't want to lose the power and COVID's done, kids. It's almost done. Now, it's dangerous right now because this, this beast is in the death throes. And a, and a wounded, cornered animal who has no options left is dangerous. So I'm not being flippant. We have to be on our guard. We have to put this thing down. But COVID's done. And these politicians know it. And you can't think. You can't imagine for a moment that they're not addicted to this power like a junkie. They will break into your home, beat, rob, rape, steal from you just to get their next fix. And the next fix is coming through climate change. The next fix is coming through climate change. And I think Yum Brands with their KFC and... and uh, and they're, uh, what do you call it? I'm calling it Beyond Meat, uh, this launch of their plant-based fried chicken. This is all about trying to get ahead of climate change. KFC isn't worried about your health. And quite frankly, if you're shopping at KFC, you're not worried about your health either. Now, yeah, there are some people that are like, look, my kids love KFC. They're begging me all the time for chicken nuggies, chicken nuggies, chicken nuggies. My sweaty little 12-year-old, when he's not doing his PlayStation 4, wants chicken nuggies. 
So when I go there, I want a healthy option. If I got to eat there, I want a healthy option. You don't spend years and millions of dollars to figure out how to make a kind of chicken breast out of plant-based option just so that little Jimmy's mom has a healthy option when she takes them for the chicken nuggies. I think there are two th- it's a win-win for these guys. Number one, if they can foist this on the population, it's probably a it's more than a win-win. If they can foist it on the population, they dramatically drop their costs because raising meat is expensive and raising plants is cheaper. You can do all kinds of bioengineering and genetic engineering and so on to the plants. You can, you can nuke them with all kinds of chemicals. We keep getting more and more and more food out of a square inch than we used to out of an acre. But I think this allows them to cut their costs. At the same time, it allows them to get ahead of the global climate change initiative. You and I are going to continue to be locked down, maybe not in our homes all the time, but our governors and our statesmen and our congresspeople and our municipal leaders and our mayors, and the list goes on and on and on, they are going to use climate change as the next emergency that requires them to continue to keep their boot on our neck. And giant, multi-billion dollar corporations like Yum! Brands will use things like plant-based food as virtue signaling about how they are helping fight climate change and protect humanity through plant-based chicken sandwiches. That's what's going on here. And you say, Mike, that seems pretty convoluted. I'm like, yeah, I know. We live in a crazy world right now, kids, a crazy world. So that's that. What's your thought on that? Do me a favor, kids, get in touch. We're not done yet. That's just the first topic. But get in touch. Hit me up over at MikeGaston.com. If you don't know how to spell my name, I'm not going to spell it for you. I'm the host of the show. I don't have to. I don't have to do it. Do a little effort. Like Show a little effort. Do a little homework. You'll own it if you do it. If you do, the, if you do the work, then you'll feel like, I worked for this. I've got some equity in this message that I'm now sending Mike. But go to my website, MikeGaston.com. There's a... Uh, contact form there. And I would also highly recommend that you sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I, you may not know this, but I've got a newsletter and I often like, eh, once in a while I post something to the newslet- newsletter. I actually just kicked off a really, what I think is going to be a fascinating series on maps, maps, metaphorical maps. Maps are these symbolic representation, uh, symbolic representations of reality. They help us navigate the world. And I'm curious about this. We live in a world of maps. What do they mean? What are the criteria and the qualities of a good map? And what happens when the maps that we use don't necessarily represent the terrain? So we've got a whole little email series that I'm kicking off. I just kicked it off a couple days ago. Go over to my website, MikeGaston.com. Sign up for that bad boy because you can participate in this. You can be part of the conversation as we think through the topic of maps and veracity and terrain. 
All right, so that's Yum Brands. I got to tell you, though, that's not the end of it. Some other stuff going on this very, very interesting week. Uh, Apple, Apple, the computer company, they hit a $3 trillion market cap this last Monday. $3 trillion. First company, at least first American, but I believe first publicly traded company to ever hit $3 trillion in market cap. And here's some, just a, and I don't have a lot to say about this, uh, but it's very interesting where this is going. And I, I have this, I, you know, I started out a free market guy. Oh, I'm a conservative. I'm a, I'm a Republican conservative. Oh, I'm for free markets. You know, I was an entrepreneur at the time, and, and I'm all for business and entrepreneurship. But in my mind, it was like all business, good business. Business is good. Oh, it's grand, and you can do all these wonderful things with it. And the more I started to, to, to think about these things, and the more I started to hold them up against my core beliefs, I started realizing there's some problems here. And specifically, I've got some issues with publicly traded companies, and we can unpack that some other time and maybe touch on a little bit here. But I just want to state that Apple has hit a $3 trillion market cap. Now, they've got $190 billion in cash on hand. Think about that. Look at your wallet or your purse right now. How much money do you have on hand? How much cash do you have? And then take a minute and think about your savings account and your checking account. If you combine savings, checking, and your wallet, how much cash on hand do you have? Uh, some of you will have hundreds of dollars. Some of you might have a few thousand dollars. Apple has over $190 billion in cash available to them. In 2021, they did over $365 billion in gross revenue. Now, a lot of that was iPhone sales. Uh, a lot of that was growth into China. Hmm. And you see their services, Apple services, things like Apple Pay or their, or their video content, their, app, their streaming platform. Like those are becoming more a part of their revenue, but really it's iPhone growth into China. I mean, that's, that's where a lot of their revenue. I mean, there's, look, it's not just China. Look, kids, you and I are buying iPhones like, like they're going out of style. But uh, you see this reliance on iPhones in China. They're trying to get off of the iPhone gravy train, if you will. I, I think they see the writing in the wall. Like you can only ride this wave for so long and they need other stuff. And so they're trying to push things like services and so on. What I find interesting about this is, and these are not comparing apples to apples, but I just want to throw these numbers out here because it's kind of mind blowing. You've got the top 10 GDP gross domestic product uh, countries, countries, countries by the top 10 gross domestic product in the world. And Apple, their market cap, not the same thing, okay, but their market cap is larger, they're worth more than the gross domestic product of, I think, five or six of the top 10. So for instance, their market cap, three trillion, the United Kingdom their gross domestic, I can't say this very easily, gross domestic product uh, last year, $2.76 trillion. India, $2.66 trillion. France, $2.63 trillion. Italy, $1.89 trillion. Canada, $1.64 trillion. Canada, come on, get your act together, you guys. You, you guys ahead of us up in the north, you got to do better. And then South Korea at $1.64 trillion. So Apple... 
bigger than, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the top 10 countries by gross domestic, domestic product. I understand those of you that know a little bit about statistics and those even more so that know more about economics. It's not comparing apples to apples. I get that. But it's, it's interesting that Apple is valuated higher than some of these really big countries like the UK or France, Canada, South Korea, India. I mean, come on. That's just astounding. And the reason I bring all this up is to say we live in a world where these giant corporations are taking over the world. Think of the power you have when you're when you're market cap is at 3 trillion. You did $365.8 billion in gross revenue in one year. And you got $190 billion in cash on hand. Think of your power. And that's just one. Now, these guys are the top. You got Microsoft. You got some of these other country companies, rather, not far behind. And this becomes very, very concerning when you go back to this discussion about power that our politicians and our, the people leading our countries, they love power. You think companies like Apple aren't throwing cash at these people? I don't mean it's some dirty back room. I mean, there's tons of that. But Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Amazon, you don't think these companies are flowing cash into these power-hungry politicians? What happens when a group of politicians have the ability to make excuses to strip you of your natural human rights, let alone your constitutional rights, no matter what country you're in, they, because of an, a supposed emer, emergency. And then you've got these giant corporations just throwing money at them. You put these giant multi-trillion dollar businesses with untold trillions of dollars of cash at their disposal in league with these politicians. What does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for you and I? So I am not anti-business. I think that small, privately owned businesses, and when I say small, look, a $200 million company could be a small business. Small business isn't just some guy in a pickup truck going around raking leaves for somebody. But these small, privately owned businesses, I think, are way more healthy and important for, for our society, for our communities, we can get into a whole thing on that. These, these owners are typically rooted in their communities. They share the same values. They're invested. It's like, hey, I want my town to do well. And you know, I employ a few hundred people in my town. I'm, I'm, you know, I matter. Sure, there might be a little bit of pride there, but it's like they, it's a responsibility. This isn't, you know, call it the patriarchy. Call it whatever you want to. This is, this is an important commitment. This is a, I have a commitment to my people, my town, my family, my neighbors, our values. We're going to work hard. I'm going to pay my people fairly. I'm not going to just kick them to the curb every time there's a hardship. I'm going to take it in the neck to make sure that I can keep people employed. My children go to school with their children. We're part of the same clubs. We, we dine at the same restaurants. We drive the same roads. We care about the same things. Our parents grew up together. Yeah, I understand a small privately owned business can't make the iPhone. I get it. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to paint, paint such a black and white picture. But when you start thinking about the power that these companies, Apple being the biggest right now, 
And you think about the people that run these companies. So for instance, Tim Cook, you go, okay, he's the CEO of Apple. This cat is only 61 years old. He's got a lot of time. So we always heard about Steve Jobs. He was a colorful guy. He was a hard ass. He was tough. You know, Steve Jobs, oh, he's a genius. Oh, Steve Jobs is brutal. He's mean. He's genius. Everybody wants to be like Steve Jobs. Oh, when he died, I, I remember when he died, it was just so, it was like I couldn't help but roll my eyes. All these people, oh, Steve Jobs, when he died, he meant so much to me. It's like you never knew him. And if he ever met you, he would not have treated you well. You're just a fanboy. You're just an Apple fanboy. Look, and I'm, I'm hey, I'm recording. I got, I've been an Apple guy for practically my whole life. Uh, I'm running an iPhone. I'm running an iMacs and iPads and Power books and MacBook Pros and all that crap all this. So I'm an Apple guy, but I mean, give me a break. But Tim Cook, you don't hear much about him. This guy's 61 years old. So he's at the helm of this company. He clearly has some values. He clearly has some things that he wants to accomplish. And he stayed under the radar for the most part, as far as like, who is he and what's he all about? But he's sitting on a, th- a company that's valued at $3 trillion. They got $190 billion in cash on hand. They're doing hundreds of billions a year in revenue, top-line revenue. I mean, and, and by the way, I should point out, all this was done with about $6 billion in supply chain shortages. They had $6 billion in shortages. They couldn't get about $6 billion worth of supplies that they needed to do all the work that they had that they could have done. So these guys hit records all around, and they're sitting with, a headwind of $6 billion in supply issues. Think about that. And we all know about supply issues. I mean, as I said earlier, go to the store and try to buy some, try to buy a ribeye steak off the shelf, try to find some first and then look at the price. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I want to move to the next topic here. So we start out with KFC. I'm saying this is all about money. I'm talking about how corrupt these politicians are and they don't want to give up their power and KFC is going after the money play and after the the kind of fake virtue. You know, they're going to get ahead of I, this is my take. They're going to get ahead of the virtue signaling on on the earth and the ecology and environment and the whole global warming thing. Apple, uh, three trillion market cap, massive company, but there's many companies right on their heels. Amazon and Microsoft being a couple of the obvious ones. And we saw during the pandemic how politicians were very quick to shut down the small mom and pop operator, the local company. They just, just a bullet to the head. Sorry, sucks to be you. But the Walmarts of the world were able to stay open and they could keep shipping product. You can go shopping there and buy anything you wanted. You couldn't go to the hardware store down the street because that's where COVID was, but you could go to Walmart, no problem. No COVID there seemingly. So we see how these guys work together. Now let's jump to Macron. Do you guys know who Macron is? He is the French president, Emmanuel Macron. And I, I don't, I never took a, 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 a day of French lessons. So forgive me, those of you that know how to pronounce things. Uh, I have no idea how to say his name uh, with a proper French accent. But Emmanuel Macron says that he wants to piss off the unvaccinated. So this last week, just a few days ago, he makes this speech And he essentially says, and this made lots of headlines, that that he wants to really piss off unvaccinated people. Now, one of the reasons that this made headlines is because the phrase that he used uh, in French is actually a very derogatory, very crass, very crude phrase, the way he said it. And even even in English, piss off is kind of a crass 
But I think that the French phrase carried even more uh, uh, venom to it and, and, and is more crass. So Macron makes this, this speech talking about the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. They're really going to clamp down. But he says, I'm going to go after the unvaccinated. I'm going to make it miserable for them. I'm going to piss them off. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, I really want to, he says, and this is a quote, this is an interview he did for the Lee uh, Parisian newspaper on Tuesday, this last Tuesday. Uh, I'm not for pissing off the French. Now the unvaccinated, I really want to piss them off. And so we're going to keep doing it until the end. This is the strategy. And this, like the response was pretty, you know, feric. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of heat real quick about this. People were upset about it, et cetera. But, but here's the thing that I found more troubling. Yeah, first of all, what does it mean to have the head of state of France? Pretty big country, pretty important country on the world stage. I know joking aside, uh, France does matter. What does it mean when the leader, the president of that country says, I want to I want to focus on a group of people, of citizens, of my people that I'm supposed to govern, that I'm supposed to serve, by the way. And my strategy, my goal is to really piss them off and I'm just going to keep going after them. We're going to just keep doing this. We're going to keep pissing them off until the end. So this guy's sitting in a meeting and he's got an option between A and B. He's going to look at that and go, well, what's really going to, what's really going to piss off the unvaccinated? Well, let's do that. That's how he's, that's how he's going to govern. So th this creates a bit of a, a storm. What I found even more troubling is that he made this comment. Uh, he made this comment that those that are unvaccinated are less than citizens. Now that one didn't really make the headlines. It was kind of weird. So he used some crass language and said, "I'm going to be pissing off the unvaccinated." Okay, I mean, shame on him. Disgusting, etc. But, but that made the headlines. Fair enough. But what I find more troubling is that he said that the unvaccinated are less than citizens. So you could be born French. You could love the culture. You could you know, protect the French are very big on protecting their culture. Um, they're very big on their Frenchness. You could be as French as French could be. Because there's a virus going around and you choose not to put an experimental drug in your body that we don't really know what it has in it that messes with your RNA. And there are all kinds of weird things like soccer players dropping dead on the pitches and kids having myocarditis, heart enlargement, and stroking out. I've never heard of a child stroking out before. And if any of you go, yeah, it, it happens. Well, yeah, it, it never happened like it's happening now. And I don't even know that it really happened before. I guess anything could happen. But my goodness, there's all this is weird stuff going on. And you're going to come and say, I'm as French as French could be. And I decided I really don't want this. And maybe I've already had COVID. Maybe I've already got immunity. And you're going to turn around. And, and by the way, we've known as human beings, I mean, don't give me this stuff like, well, we don't really know how long natural immunity is going to last. It's like, who are we kidding, guys? Can we just stop the lying to each other and to ourselves? We've known as human beings, when you get something, you get natural immunity. Have you ever had chicken pox twice? No. 
Why is that? You got a virus. Your body learned how to fight the virus. And for the rest of your life, your body knows how to deal with the virus. Now, the only problem is people are getting shingles now because you need to be occasionally re-exposed to chicken pox to kind of boost up naturally your system. You don't get chicken pox. You don't break out. You don't even know. But when you get exposed, if you've had chicken pox, you've got natural immunity. Every time you get exposed to it again, just gives you a little bit of a, of a booster, a little natural kind of level up. And if you don't get that, you end up with some issues with shingles. Well, now elderly people are getting shingles. Why is that? Because we are vaccinating chicken pox out of society. And now all of us that have had chicken pox naturally are going to have to deal with shingles later on because we've just medicated our way into utopia. Nice job. Anyway, we've all known that natural immunity works. You know, like on one hand, everyone says, no, coronavirus is natural. You know, we caught it from bats. On another hand, we act like it's an unnatural disease that 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 is bizarre, alien powers, that it acts in ways that no other disease ever acts before, acted before. Look, the flu's been killing people. It's not like coronavirus is unique that it kills people. We've had all kinds of viruses that kill people, maim people, paralyze people, etc. Even sterilize people. I think, is it measles? I think measles can leave you sterile. So we act like uh, there's something different about COVID. Uh, there isn't. You get COVID, you get really good immunity. Can you get it twice? Maybe. It's rare, very rare, but you can get it twice, I guess. I guess, maybe. But natural immunity. But Macron says nothing about that. Either you get vaxxed, you allow the state to force a foreign experimental uh, injection, I don't even call it a medicine, into your body that messes with your RNA, your genetics, or you're less than a citizen. I find that really troubling. And if you contextualize that, and I'm building a bit of a narrative here, but if you contextualize that within the idea of politicians that love power, that are not planning on giving back power to the people, allowing people to go on with their lives unmolested, that are just gearing up for the next quote-unquote crisis to justify the application, the, the gross application of power that they've been applying over the last two years, you start to get a little bit concerned when you hear a head of state of a country like France, supposedly the leader in the Western world of culture, statecraft, actually. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but back in the day, French was the language of statecraft. A couple hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, if you were conducting statecraft, you weren't speaking English. You were speaking French. If you wanted to be an ambassador, if you wanted to be a diplomat, if you were a world leader, you needed to have a working knowledge of French. Yeah, that's a real thing. Look it up. Now, I'm not saying that France holds this position of power in the world right now, but it's still France. I just had a glass of French wine of Bordeaux with my pasta a little earlier this evening. I mean, it's France, kids. And their president is saying, not only do I want to piss off the unvaccinated, and that's my strategy, I'm going to continue to do this to the end 
But he said that these people are less than citizens. This is not good. These people, people like Macron, the people around him, the people under him in countries all over the world need to be held accountable. They cannot do this to us, not morally, not ethically. They can, they can have laws on the books. They can make all the laws they want. Laws don't have to be moral or just. But what they're doing and the attitudes that they have and the language that they're using and the sentiments that they are stirring up, these things are immoral. France has a checkered past when it comes to the Nazis and when it comes to anti-Semitism. I think France needs to be very careful about how it talks about human beings that don't just submit to some law that's arbitrarily and capriciously and, and just quickly rushed to the books. Nobody knows about this RMNA, mRNA technology. This is, this is experimental. We've tried for decades and it's been an abysmal failure. And then magically we've got something that supposedly works. We've got a lot of problems. If I had a dollar for every little story that I'm seeing where somebody tweets, I've seen the screenshots of these things where someone tweets, can't wait to get my vax. Uh, and, and then, you know, literally a week later, I, I'm sorry to, you know, announce we lost our baby, you know, the w- woman's pregnant or so-and-so, you know, got her booster. Now she's dead or she, or this teenager's got his vaccine. He's in a coma. I mean, and if, and if you're rolling your eyes at this, just take some time on your own, you know, act like Neo in the matrix, uh, before he became Neo, when he was thinking something doesn't seem right. If you remember the opening scenes of The Matrix, he's sitting there at night on his computer scanning news stories, trying to understand who is this Morpheus. Spend a little time, do some serious digging, and look into how many soccer players across the world are dropping freaking dead on the, on the football pitch. I think two of them just died last week. It's happening all the time coincidence? I think not. So Macron, he's going after those that don't get vaxxed. I just, I find this immoral. Who are these people that they get to tell us what to do with our bodies? Maybe you're not at high risk. Maybe you've had COVID. Maybe you're just okay with the fact that, yeah, I might die. I guarantee you 100% of the people that got vaxxed and have been vaxxed and will continue to get vaxxed, 100% of these people are going to die. I also guarantee you that 100% of the people that don't get vaxxed and refuse to get vaxxed and never get vaxxed are also going to die. Kids, I got some bad news for you. You're not getting out of here alive. Now, I'm not saying hasten your, your demise And I understand people are like, well, it's not just about you. If you don't get vaxxed, you're putting other people in danger. Look, if you think that you are at risk for dying from COVID, then you stay home. Since when do we all have to stop living our lives because there's an individual somewhere that might die? That's like saying, well, don't drive a car because you might hit somebody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of road deaths, a lot of road deaths out there, kids. Now, we do say don't operate a vehicle under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, that, that's taking responsibility. You could have avoided that. You didn't have to drink all that booze, get behind the wheel, take out a family. Gosh. But, but just to go about your business, to drive your car, to go shopping, maybe go to your job, drop your uh, mail off at the post office, pick up your dry cleaning. Are those immoral acts? 
and yet you're putting other people's lives in danger. Maybe there's a person that has bad eyesight. They could wander out into the road. Is that your fault if you're driving a car? But that's how we're acting about this. It's like, get the vaccine or you're killing other people. You're putting other people at risk. There are people that could die from this. You know, there's a 99.997 or 97 survival rate on this thing. But if you don't get vaccinated, that someone could might maybe die. It's clown world. It's clown world. I want to spend a little bit of time, you know, talking about the January 6th uh, commemoration. I'm going to call it commemoration. It felt more like a celebration by the left uh, here in America. And those of you that don't know, January 6th, uh, you know, last year, January 6th, there were a bunch of knuckleheads at the Capitol. Uh, they broke in, were let in. There's a whole bunch of different narratives out there. And, you know, desecrated the, uh, the Capitol building, the sacred Capitol building. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot, a lot of rhetoric on this. And I was going to do a big breakdown on this. I, I suffice it to say, I just want to, I just want to talk about a very simple concept here. This will be the last thing we talk about, but attention is a moral action. And what I mean by that is how we attend, what we attend to, what we give our attention to is a moral act. What we focus on and how we focus on it carries a moral component to it. You know, the way you see something may be different than the way I see it. And there's some subjectivity there. So for instance, if there is a dog running around a yard and there's a six-year-old boy, there's a 32-year-old mom, and there's uh, a 32-year-old veterinarian, so two women, uh, and maybe there's a maybe there's a 36-year-old father. So we got two women, one's a mom, one's a veterinarian, one's the father and one's the kid. All right. They're all looking at this dog running around. When the kid sees the dog, the kid is seeing a friend. The kid is seeing uh, someone to play with. The kid is seeing a dream come true. I've always wanted a pet. I finally got a dog. Dog's my best friend. Me and the dog do all kinds of things together. The dog's loyal. He'll protect me. He plays with me. We understand each other. There's just some bond, a special bond. The mother looks at the dog and thinks, yeah, I love this dog, but my goodness, I've got my hands full. So the mother sees work. I've got to clean up after this dog. The kid said he was going to do all kinds of things like feed it and walk it. He doesn't do half the things he said he was going to do. So it all falls on me. It's just like the mother sees the dog as just one more responsibility. I'm already taking care of a house. So stay at home, mom, if you haven't inferred that already. The father sees the dog and maybe thinks irritation, like I, I've got one more mouth to feed. I can't, you know, take vacations. Or maybe he thinks of it as a buddy, you know, like the wife doesn't understand me, but the dog always is happy to see me. Who knows, right? 
But the veterinarian sees the dog and she sees the dog differently. She knows about its breed. She knows about its biology. She knows about its health needs. She knows about nutrition. She sees the dog as a patient. So each one of these sees the dog differently. And because they see the dog differently, they have an experience. It's different. Their world is different. Now, is one of these a true experience? Is one a lie, et cetera? That's, you know, in this example, not necessarily. They're all legitimate. But when they look at this dog, they see something different. They think something different. They feel something different. They experience something different. And this kind of helps make their world, make their reality. The dog is still a dog. It hasn't changed. But depending on how they attend, depending how they look at the dog, depends on how their reality is formed. The veterinarian doesn't look at the dog and think, this is my best friend. The veterinarian doesn't look at the dog and think, this is a dream come true. And so why I'm bringing this up in relationship to January 6th is, you know, we just observed the Democrats, those in power right now, presenting to us a certain narrative. Here's what happened. A terrorist attack the worst in history, sacred ground, you know, just all this stuff. The only thing that I want to talk about, I don't want to sit trying to debunk everything they said. But I think we're in a society right now where the way that we attend to things makes such a difference. I think the stakes are so high. And I want to ask the question, you know, and I really want to point out, we're being very selective in the way that we attend to things. And this is a moral action. This isn't just Republican versus Democrat. This isn't just left versus right. This isn't just democracy versus dictatorship, meaning, oh, we've got to save the world from Trump. This isn't defending Trump. This isn't any of that stuff. I have some serious problems with Trump on December or sorry, January 6th. I've said all along, I mean, I'm not blaming him for what happened, but he's got to take responsibility. At the least, the most, the most generous reading of this is, what were you thinking to hold that big rally and think that nothing was going to happen with all this heat and energy that you'd been ginning up for weeks and weeks and weeks over this election? What were you thinking? That's the most generous read, but that's, I'm not accusing Trump of masterminding some overthrow of the government. I think that that is, I think that's ridiculous. But, but here's what I've got to ask. If we're going to sit here as a nation and bloviate over January 6th and all of us get, oh, so, oh, so, so we're going to clutch our pearls. This terrible thing happened. Then I have to ask the question of attention. Where's our attention when it comes to the Capitol? All through the summer, there are thousands of photos of the Capitol on fire, rioters in the streets through the nights, buildings on fire, police cars on fire being destroyed, sacred statues of our forefathers being ripped to the ground and trampled upon and desecrated. Where's our attention to the multiple other times that Washington, D.C. and our buildings have been attacked, like the pipe bomb? It wasn't really a pipe bomb. The bomb, actually, that went off. Uh, The communists put off in, in the early 80s, trying to take out some Republicans. I've talked about this. 
you know, where, where is the attention to these weird things about January 6th? Things like video after video just showing police officers opening the doors for a bunch of elderly people with their little white tennis shoes that look like they're going to the mall for a walk to get their constitutional in and escorting them saying, okay, just come this way. Just be careful. Please don't touch that here. Just come through this way. Or when the QAnon shaman, the very, the very icon of this horrible insurgency, this attempt to overthrow our government, that jackass wearing the buffalo hat and the body paint with no shirt, he's in the main area that, you know, the, the kind of, uh, what do you call it, where they all sit and get together and do their voting and whatnot. I'm sorry, the chamber, whatever it's called. And you got a cop there like, hey, uh, it's him and a couple other guys like, hey, uh, c- come on, guys, could you come on out of here? This is kind of a sacred area. I mean, it's the most, it's the most pathetic. It's like some sh- schlumpy, fat, shaved head Todd in his security, mall security outfit asking the QAnon shaman character to come on, please lead the, and the guy's just bouncing about. He's not, he's not doing anything. He's a jackass. So what I'm getting at here, isn't that, oh, this is all fake. Look, this was a bad day. It was a bad, if you're a Republican or conservative, this wasn't good kids. At the least we played into their hands. It wasn't good. But there's so much out there that you could easily give your attention to that would give you a bigger story and give you a better picture of reality. And this is why attention is a moral act. The way, so, so what we attend to and the way that we attend to it develops our reality. And we should, as moral, ethical agents, want the truth. And shame on you if you're wanting a certain narrative to be true. You need to look for the truth. The, 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 this nonsense, and if you just do any digging, oh, all these police officers died. Oh, they died January 6th. They died. They didn't directly die January 6th. Nobody killed them. Nobody, you know, there's this story, oh, they bashed his head in with a fire uh, extinguisher. That was debunked. There were very small, quiet, quick, you know, buried retractions from all the major news outlets who told you that these rioters bashed in the head of a police officer and killed him. That wasn't true. He had a heart attack and died. Nobody bashed his head in. The only person that I'm aware of that died, that was killed, was one of the supposed rioters. Her name is Ashley Babbitt. And she was shot in cold blood. She had no weapon. She was just there with a bunch of other people. And yeah, it was rowdy. And some Capitol Police security, I don't know what he is, some African-American guy pulled out a gun and shot her almost point blank. There's been no inquiry. We don't know who this individual is. We don't know his name. And we kind of do. It's unofficial. There's been no suspension. There's been no investigation that the, that the public's aware of. They're protecting this guy. He just shot her point blank. Why is that? Why don't we know these things? You know, and the thing that I find really strange about all this, and again, these are questions. I'm not trying to debunk. I'm just saying what we attend to is a moral act. We, you got to look past just what 
the Biden Harris administration is telling us. And if it was the if it was the uh, you know the Bush administration or the Trump administration, you got to look past that too. You can't just sit and take things at face value. These people are not honest, truthful people. You have to fight for the truth. You have to fight for it on your own. Fox News and CNN and all they're not going to give it to you. You have to fight for it yourself because no one's going to give it to you. You got to fight to find it. But you know, here's the thing. We talk about cops. How many police shows show cops in the in just the filthy dirty underbelly of humanity? We you know, I remember the TV show Cops, Bad Boys, what you gonna do? I mean, that was like People love that. I remember on Friday night church, people, this is, they should be ashamed of themselves. I hated this. You go to church. Oh, I love Jesus. They'd sing songs and read scripture and all that kind of stuff. Then they run home to watch cops so they could watch the police tase some alcoholic guy in his underwear running around in the middle of the night screaming El Rojo as he's losing his mind and beating up his neighbors. I mean, it was just like people loved that. It was just so, ugh, <laughs> it's voyeuristic. But police officers deal with horrible things all the time. Murderers and rapists and thieves and thugs. They deal with pedophiles and just prostitution and drugs. I mean, it's just the things that police officers have to deal with. It's just horrendous. It's dehumanizing. And yet we're led to believe that a bunch of police officers committed suicide because this was just such a horrendous, just terrifying, overwhelming day. I mean, really? I, I mean, I've seen riots happening for over a year now since George Floyd, and, and I haven't heard of police officers committing suicide, but there are thousands of hours of video of just riots and, and mayhem and fires, and it's just insanity. It's like the country unraveling all over in these major cities. I mean, do you remember what Minneapolis was like? Oh my gosh. And yet somehow no suicides, but this, this one with a bunch of, you know, MAGA hat wearing middle America doofuses saying, Hey, you know, we want in. And it wasn't even that violent, quite frankly. I mean, there was some violence. I'm not going to say it wasn't, there was some violence. But it wasn't that violent. And yet people were killing themselves. And then these police officers get up on the stand and one after another just in tears. Oh, they're crying. What are these guys, guidance counselors or cops? <laughs> I mean, it's laughable. I mean, when you just kind of back up a little bit and ask some questions, it's laughable. What am I saying? The January 6th never happened? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is our attention and how we give it is a moral act. And it behooves us not to allow others to impose upon us a narrative. There may be some truth in some of the things that the Biden administration is putting forward. There may be. There may be some truth in some of the things that the Republicans are saying on the other side. But I guarantee you, if you choose to attend to something a certain way, you will see it a certain way. It will create your reality. It will create the world that you experience. And the, and the reason that's dangerous or, or at least important is you will then react and respond and behave in ways because you think that's reality. And if you think something is reality that's not, then you are delusional. You're behaving in ways that are delusional. If you're lining up for your fourth and fifth and sixth booster shot, if you're terrified of COVID and you've already had it, 
if you think that all Republicans are out there to just overthrow the government and just trample democracy, if you think that January 6th was the worst thing that ever happened in our country, gosh, I think you may be a little deluded. I think you may be struggling with the truth. Now, fortunately, if you're listening to this podcast and you're still listening to this podcast today, the odds are you think for yourself. And I think that's a superpower right now. It's a, it's a rare it's a rare thing for someone to think for themselves. But I think right now to be able to embrace the truth and to live the truth regardless of the consequences is heroic. And I want to encourage you, my listeners, to be heroic. Do what it takes to find the truth. Do what it takes to live the truth. Speak it, behave it, stand up for it. Don't participate in the lies. There are things I don't know. I wasn't there on January 6th. There's a lot I don't know. But I know enough about life to ask some questions and to say, "Eh, something doesn't seem right here. And I get the feeling that both sides aren't, aren't telling the full truth. So I want to encourage you in the truth, guys. I hope that you know that I love you. I'm very grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you for spending some time with me. I hope that this little time together has been helpful to you. Be sure to get in touch with me. You know how to get me. Just go to MikeGaston.com. I said earlier I wasn't going to spell it, but it's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. Hit me up. You guys, almost after every episode, I get a bunch of notes. It's really nice. And uh, if you like, sign up for that email. Uh, Get on my email list. That sign up form also on my homepage at the very top. Let's go there, sign up, and you will be in like Flynn, as they say. Guys, I love you all, and I will catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you.